So, no, I'm not Phil. Uh, on those uh, couple occasions a year he asks me to speak, I usually just um, really try to take time to pray and just say, God, reveal what it is that you want me to say and just try to get out of the way. Um, and I love that I get to do this because it makes me appreciate him so much because this is not an easy gig, let me just tell you, just to do it two or three times a year. This time, though, he said, he asked me about this date, and I said, yeah, I can do that, and I knew immediately what I wanted to talk about. And it was on this idea of Sabbath rest, because it's been something that God's been stirring within me for, for really over probably a couple of years. And my friends will tell you I talk a lot about self-care <laughs> and taking care of yourself and taking breaks and taking time off. Um, but there's a way in which the Father's been telling me that, that that time has not been as intentional as I planned it for it to be, that I really intend that time to be a time to spend with me, to have a Sabbath rest. So... This is a sermon I need to hear, and you get just to come along for the ride. Um, I don't know what you think of when you think about God commanding us to take a Sabbath rest. And I'm going to talk to you in a minute about a lot of my responses and what I think is pretty common for a lot of us. But the biggest part of what I feel is this, this longing inside to, to go and to rest um, and the truth is, I'm really often like an overly tired child, whiny and irritable, that doesn't want to rest. And it's like my father keeps saying, Beth, go rest. And I'm, I'm fighting it. Anybody else can relate to that a little bit? Yeah. Well, in our society, there's a lot of reasons for us to need to rest. I'm going to share some statistics with you. In 2016, 71% of Americans reported experiencing at least one symptom of stress in the prior month. 71. Interestingly, in 2017, that figure rose to 75%. So one in three of us last year described having at least one significant symptom of stress a year. And those were things like nervousness or anxiety, irritability and anger, and fatigue. Okay, that described some of our lives. The health impact of overworking and not taking days off, according to research, are impaired sleep, depression, increased um, possibility that you'll be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and heart disease, inflammation and autoimmune issues. So there's a lot of things. Thanks, Scott, for working on that. Thank you. Okay. Um, the other thing that was really interesting to me, there's, there's an organization that actually looks at, you know, uh, worker productivity and, and environments that, that will create the most productivity in, in workers. And uh, what they found is that the average number of hours that employed Americans work are 47 a week. And 4 out of 10, 40%, report working 50-plus hours, and 2 out of that 10, 60-plus hours. So we are an overworked people. And at the same time, what they talked about was that, um, so this is really cool to me too, because this is an organization that's a secular organization, and they look to see what would be the benefits of people taking one day off a week to rest. And this is what they found. It reduces stress. It reduces health risks like those I described. It, it is associated with more physical activity, better sleep, restored mental energy, greater creativity, increased productivity and focus, better short-term memory, sign me up for that one, and a renewed passion for your work. So there's all these benefits for us resting. And yet, for many of us, we don't do a good job resting. We don't take that day off. And if we're taking a day off work, 
we're working on our to-dos, right? We're, we're busy doing all the other things that need to be done. So if the Sabbath rest is good for us, why don't we do it? Well, these are some things that I know I've experienced, and I, I imagine you might see yourself a little bit in this too. First of all, there's this fear of legalism. Like, we're under grace. We don't have to take that day. There's no need for us to worry about counting our steps like the, the ancient Jewish people did. You know, I can't take more than, oh, I can't take another step. I have to just stay here, I suppose, until the end of Sabbath. Um, but it's interesting because we see commands as restrictions, as limitations on our freedom. And yet what God's been speaking to my heart is that, and and I'm just going to be honest, I, I think that at times being under grace for me is really veiled permission for me to decide for myself what's right, which basically makes me my own Lord, right? That's a hard thing to admit and to recognize in myself, but it's true. And so God, as he continues just to work with me on this idea of what it means to be obedient and surrendered, he just keeps telling me that his principles are for my best, that it's not legalism at all, that it's the standard of the heart, like Jesus gave in Matthew 5, that we're called to. Another reason I think we don't rest is honestly stubbornness, and we want to be in control. We want to decide what needs to be done. And I really think that often um, our words and actions don't match. We talk about how God's a priority, and then we don't actually necessarily put him as a priority in our schedule. We don't create enough white space in our schedules to spend time with him, which at least that's me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that. Calvin Miller said it this way, Learn to obey. Only he who obeys a rhythm superior to his own is free. And I really love that. Learn to obey. Only he who obeys a rhythm superior to his own is free. Another reason I think that we don't rest is honestly our American culture. Like we were talking about just a minute ago in the, the number of hours that we work. And I think there's a belief that, you know, we, are work, we work more, earn more, get more, and that that means we're going to be happy. Right? That's the American dream. So in cultures that that don't have that belief, there's a sense of working to live rather than living to work that we often have in our culture. So I feel like there's a value shift that is needed for us. I have a client, and for those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a therapist, and I, I have a client that came in for the first time this last week, and I saw her twice, <laughs> once on Monday, once on Tuesday, because she's a young mom really wrestling with a decision to quit work. And uh, she's got, she's like nursing, she's nursing an infant and has like a three or four year old child as well. And she's agonizing over this decision. And she wrestles with it for a lot of reasons. Um, and one of them was, it gives her more choice. That that income allows them to buy things for their family, go on vacations for their family, and that's a hard thing to give up. And she's telling this, me this, and then she also tells me, when I looked at the numbers, 75% of my take-home income is coming, going to child care. 75%, which is often true. So I'm not suggesting that anyone should quit work if you're working. That's not the issue at all. This is not a one-size-fits-all. But we just need to start asking ourselves these questions. Are we building in Sabbath rest into our lives? All right, I may, I may pinch, uh, do some pinching on this next one a little bit, but I think another reason we don't do it is we don't know how to be still. 
We don't know how to be still. And if you're like me, a lot of times I've had to really fight this, and I've been intentional about fighting this, that when I'm still, I feel guilty. Because, you know, things are not going to get checked off the list by themselves. I have to actually do those things for them to get off the list. But it's interesting because a lot of that goes back to how we, are, we measure our worth and our value by what we do rather than who we are. And that was one of the things that's the biggest issue for my client. She's just like, I, I don't know who I am apart from this professional role that I play. And letting go of that was is terrifying for her. Terrifying for her. She's coming back in this next week because we're going to keep talking about that. So let me ask you a couple questions um, to ask yourself. What do you require of yourself in order to feel like you've had a productive day? Is it only in what you've crossed off your list? Or could we redefine productivity to being intentional about our time with the Lord, which means creating space, that that is productive, that that is for us, that for our best? Another question, what's your measuring stick for your value? What is it? I have another client, a very successful Christian businessman, who I've asked him, what is it that, what do you think gets in the way of you being still? And we've spent probably three months talking about those things that get in the way, and a lot of it is this. It's like, I don't feel like I'm productive, but also it's what seeps in that he's running from when he's still. Those things that he doesn't really want to deal with, that he has to deal with when he's still, because I think that's another part of it. Boyd Bailey uh, said this, upon about taking Sabbath rest, upon further reflection, his patient Holy Spirit assures me that Christ in me contains all the resources I need to fulfill the work the Lord has called me to complete. In other words, I can trust the Father to um, take care of my to-do list when I, when I put my time with him first. Um, my, my parents both loved the message version. They, they read scripture together every day for many, many years. Um, and they would read scripture, and then they would also look at it in Eugene Peterson's version of the message. And one of the passages that they shared, that they just loved, they shared with me, I remember when probably our youngest was in high school, um, is Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And in the message, it reads like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Which I love that phrase. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. I think the Sabbath and learning how to take a Sabbath is about an unforced rhythm of grace, a rhythm of working and working hard those six days and then pulling away and having time to reflect and to be renewed, that it's about a rhythm for us. A big part of what started me on this journey toward trying to understand Sabbath and how it looks for me in my life and how it needs to look uh, comes from a quote that I came across a few months ago by Eugene Peterson, where he's talking about the fact that the Hebrew day began at sundown. 
And this is what he said. This Hebrew evening morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep and God begins his work. As we sleep, he develops his covenant. We wake and are called out to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith and work, but always God's grace. Grace is previous and primary. We wake into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. Evening, God begins without our help. His creative day. Morning, God calls us to enjoy and share and develop the work he initiated. And when I first really grappled with that quote, I thought, this really shifts things for me. Because, again, that sort of grace as license to be my own Lord thing that I told you about earlier. What I realized is that when I wake up, I'm, I'm saying, okay, this is my day. God bless it. Which is completely backwards, I think. To be able to say, my day begins at sundown. And, Lord, my, the first part of my day with you is sleeping. And then I'm going to wake into your day. That just changes things for me in a significant way. I mean, what, what does it shift for you? What implications for the rhythm of your life does that have? To, to think of it that way. We first read about the command to observe the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. Um, and the command that God said was to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't miss that. What is it a Sabbath to? It's, it's his day. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or donkey or any of the animals. They get a break too. No, any foreign, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So when I first looked at that, those verses, I thought, okay, um, you always have to look why the therefore is there. What is therefore, right? You know, what is the therefore, therefore? And when you look back at the therefore, your Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. It refers back to the Egyptians being slaves. I mean, the Israelites being slaves to the Egyptians. And so I'm wrestling with that and saying, okay, what's the connection there? What is, I don't really quite understand that sequence. And, and then it occurred to me that the Israelites had been enslaved for years, decades, generations, that they had not taken a Sabbath rest throughout all of those years, that they were enculturated to working seven days a week. And I think that God, in his grace and mercy, to reteach them the rhythms of grace in their lives, commanded, you've got to do this, period, you've got to. To the point where the manna, of course, came six days, but not on the Sabbath. So they collected it enough for those two days, and they would have enough to eat. He provided so much that they didn't even have to work for their food. They had to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I do too. That's what I'm aware of. I think that there's um, this tendency to feel a sense of relief. If you've ever been injured or had surgery or you're sick, 
You know, that you can't do your to-do list in those moments, right? And so there's this sense of, okay, whew, I can rest. I don't have to feel guilty. Anybody feel that relief? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not alone. Good. Um, because it's a sense of, oh, it, I really can't do anything, so I'm going to give myself permission just to be in this moment. I don't think it's any mistake that in Psalm 23, we're told that our shepherd makes us lie down. He makes us lie down in green pastures. So we're not enslaved like like the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, but I think that we're often enslaved to our calendars and to our to-do lists, and that God, in his grace and mercy, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, wants to deliver us from that slavery to get us to rest. So let's talk about some elements of the Sabbath, and I think this is really fascinating. The first element we'll talk about is ceasing. So the word, um, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, and it literally means to cease or desist. To cease or desist, so stop. So there's several ways I think that we need to cease. First of all, from productivity and accomplishment, which is often, like I've said, where we get our value. We have to stop. We also need to cease anxiety, worry, and tension, which I think takes our eyes off Christ. And we need a break from that. And so thinking for me about the Sabbath as, as, a, as a no worry zone, okay, today I'm going to choose to give it all to God and to know I'm in his day. That, that recalibration is really important. That respite from that worry and the things I have to focus on is really important for me. Another thing I think that we need to cease from is trying to be God, which is giving up control and surrender, which is horrible. It's so hard. And I love it and I hate it. because I hate it when I'm trying to do it, and then when I get there, the peace that comes from surrender is beautiful and I love it. So we're supposed to cease. That's the first step of Sabbath. Then we're supposed to rest. And uh, Phyllis used this quote before by St. Augustine, O Lord, thou hast made us, and our spirits are restless until we rest in thee. That spiritual rest in Christ is so important. Martin Luther, when he was talking about the command to take a Sabbath rest, said, The spiritual rest, which God especially intends in the commandment, is that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more, that we let God alone work in us, and then all our powers, we do nothing on our own. That sense of total dependence um, that I lose track of in my day-to-day list marking off. So let's talk about a few types of rest, because I think it's important to kind of understand what he's really calling us into. First of all, spiritual rest. And the Hebrew word for rest is manua, which means joyous repose tranquility, serenity. So it's more than just exhausted rest. Phew, I stopped. You know, it's more stop and enjoy. He's calling us into a place of stillness so we can enjoy being with him. So it's not stop and collapse. It's not stop and veg out on Netflix. It's not stop and numb. It's stop and connect to God and connect to your own heart. To process your heart with the, with the Father who loves you. There was a leading uh, 20th century Jewish theologian named Heschel. And I found this idea, was, I thought it was fascinating. He, he said that the ancient rabbis 
believe that it took a special act of creation to bring rest into being, that the universe would be incomplete without it. In other words, that God did not cease creation on the seventh day, that he created rest as a part of his salvation, as his creation. I love that idea, that he created rest. Heschel also talks about this idea of manure when he talks on uh, Psalm 23. Because when our shepherd leads us beside the still waters, those are the waters of manuat, which is the same root word. The waters of stillness, of tranquility, of joyous repose. I think a big part of what God desires us to experience in, in spiritual rest is that it is um, a deposit. That our ability to enter into spiritual rest now is a foretaste of being fully in his presence and fully in rest when we're with him. We also need physical rest. Anybody need physical rest? Anybody exhausted? Don Leonard, your hand should be up. Uh, 60 bags of mulch yesterday. Yeah, that counts. Um, And when I think of that, one of the stories that just jumps to my mind is the story of Elijah, who in his confident um, embodying the work God had given him to be, had conquered the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to I'm going to kill you. And he flees to the desert and he is exhausted. And we read about it in First Kings 19. And he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better off than my ancestors. In other words, they're long dead and I am no better off living right now. So just kill me. Just kill me now. And then he lays down under a bush and he falls asleep. And I just love how God meets him where he is and provides for what he needs. He wakes him up. He says to eat. Twice he does that. To strengthen him for the journey ahead where he's about to encounter God in a very personal and deeply formative way. Another type of rest we need is emotional rest. About that, Marva J. Don says, it is really impossible to rest our bodies thoroughly if our spirits are ill at ease. So we need emotional rest. We need time away. We need to refocus and recalibrate. When I talk to my clients and myself about this, I tell them all the time that, that emotions make good passengers and terrible drivers. You need them in the car. They're informing. We need to pay attention. We need to process them. We need to cry out to God with our emotions. But we do not want them in the driver's seat because they will drive us. First of all, screeching halt, right? We'll just stop or we'll go in the wrong direction or end up running into a tree or off a cliff. I mean, that's what happens when our emotions drive us. We need to be mindful of them, but we also need to keep them in check, right? So Elijah, in his exhaustion, I believe was being driven by his emotions. Just kill me. My life is worthless now. And God, in his mercy and grace, gives him rest to help recalibrate his emotions. So Elijah um, is told by God, travel 40 days and 40 nights into the desert. I think that's really cool that that's also the time Jesus spent in the desert in his time of temptation. And when he gets there, God shows up and just simply asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What do you need? And I don't see that as a critical, what are you doing here? You know, as a as a a harsh thing. I think he's saying, "Okay, plead your case. Tell me. 
tell me what's in your heart. Let's talk about it. And so Elijah answers with his complaint. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. So driven by his emotions. And then in First um, Kings 19 verses 11 and 12. We read, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire came a gentle whisper. Interestingly, when you look at that word for whisper, it actually doesn't mean whisper. It means still, silence, calm. So God met Elijah in his depression, in his emotional thinking, in the midst of all of that. And he met his need and spoke to him in the silence and in the calm. And he speaks to us in the silence and in the calm. I've shared it before. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 30:15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And how many of us have a hard time being quiet? Just being still and quiet. My hand goes up for sure on that one. I have to really discipline myself. So the types of rest are spiritual, physical, emotional, and then intellectual. In our incredibly busy lives, I think we need time to just fast from all the information that's bombarding us and giving, got to give our brains some room to rest, to gain a wider perspective, as God gave to Elijah, to gain that perspective that our often self-absorbed, fragmented stories are in actuality a part of his much bigger story, to put our stories into context. To recalibrate, to have a restoration so we can face in his strength the re-entry into God's work with his perspective rather than our own. In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus says that God knows what we need before we ask And again, like stubborn sheep, like the stubborn sheep that we are, he knows we need rest. And so he makes us to lie down in those green pastures. He he helps us learn what it looks like to take a real rest, to keep company with him so that we can learn to live freely and lightly. So in addition to ceasing and to resting, Sabbath is also about embracing and so briefly, that, that embracing, I think, is about embracing our identity in Christ, our position in his love. We need to recalibrate that every week, I believe, surrendering to his will. It's also about embracing relationship, which I think is, is very significant. There is a reason why the Hebrew Sabbath starts at sundown with a meal, with loved ones, with family, with friends. Uh, Don says it this way, to celebrate God's love on our Sabbath also transforms us so that we can more deeply value others in the same way. When we are not under the compulsion to be productive, we are given the time to dwell with others, to be with them, and thereby to discover who they are. So it's not just about us, it's also about, and not just about God, it's about community. 
And then last of all, feasting, which also is definitely representational of um, that family meal at the beginning of, of um, Sabbath. And interestingly enough, most Jewish people save the things that they love to eat the most for that Sabbath meal. It's like they eat healthy or whatever, and then on Sabbath it's like they want to fill it with things that are their favorites as a way to just recognize the goodness of God. Um, Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Again, that association with Sabbath rest. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Open wide your mouth. That's our God. And I think Sabbath rest is to be a representation of spending time and opening wide our mouth so God can fill our hearts and our bodies and our relational needs in that time of Sabbath. Hebrews uh, 4, actually a lot of Hebrews talks about Sabbath rest, and that's a great place to go and study if you want to learn more about it. Um, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11a says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work. So again, New Testament commandment, not just old. Just as God did from his, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And so that sort of is that the title of the sermon, strive to to rest. That's what God says to do. Strive. Work hard to rest. Put it on your to-do list. Let me share a couple practical issues around Sabbath. First of all, it's all to me about creating grace space, creating space with God. That's really the goal. And it does not mean that you have to sit around and do nothing in a straight back chair or like read your Bible for eight hours a day. There's not a lot of to do's about this. You can choose to do things on your Sabbath. Um, Last Sunday, I was intentional about just going out and spending time in my yard and I was pulling weeds, but deadheading some roses, but also just being present with God in the glory of his creation in my yard. And that was part of my Sabbath. That was a good thing. So it doesn't have to look, again, one size fits all. The other thing I would say is just like tithing or starting a quiet time, this is another spiritual discipline. And if, if you're overwhelmed by thinking about taking a day of Sabbath, Take four hours of Sabbath. Start there and be intentional about that time. And then just take God at his word and see what happens when you are intentional about spending time in Sabbath. There is so much freedom to how this looks in our lives. So as the band comes up, I just want to conclude with a quote and some questions. So you guys can come on up. First of all, Boyd Bailey said, when we co-labor with Christ... We can rest when he says rest, trusting he will take care of the rest. Take him at his word. Put him to the test. See if you don't set aside this time that you won't reap benefits and have greater focus and ability to concentrate. So here's two questions. Where in life do I need to cease striving and trust God is at work around me? Where is that for you? And then... Where do I need to surrender in order to keep the Sabbath as God is calling me to? I just want to leave those with you. Let's let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the conviction you've been giving me about this intentional time of recalibration and spending time with you. 
And Lord, it's not a mistake to me that in the middle of trying to do this, I've had one of the most horribly difficult, um, highest to-do list weeks in recent history. And um, Lord, thank you that you're faithful and that I can trust you to do the work you need to do in us and all of us to enter into this time of refreshing, Lord, that, that we would open wide our mouths, that you would fill them, Lord. Um, Please call and convict us to living out these truths in the way that you design, that you desire for each one of us personally. Lord, thank you that you're a personal God and you meet each of our needs um, personally, with intentionality, with your face turned fully toward us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.